all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. You're listening to a podcast of Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This time of year, many people resolve to take better care of themselves by eating or drinking less, stopping smoking, or using drugs. Yet many resolutions fail. Often the reason is not the lack of resolve, but the lack of the ability to stop. Today we have two experts who will help us better understand substance abuse and addiction and how to help ourselves or others in this new decade. From the University of Mississippi Medical Center, we have Dr. Jeff Parker, who's a clinical psychologist and vice chair of clinical affairs in the Department of Psychiatry. He's also co-director of addictions for the UMC Neuro Institute. Welcome, Dr. Parker. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here. And we also have Dr. Sarab Barjois. I said it wrong. Barjois? That's, that's fine. I said it close enough. Um, who is an addiction psychiatrist in the Department of Psychiatry and the medical director of addictions program at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. So thank you also for being here so much. Thank you. It's a delight having you. And I, I know, you know, this is to me a very, very tough topic for for many reasons. Um, one, sometimes people don't even realize they have a problem until it's sort of over the top difficult. Um, if we talk about um, a substance abuse disorders, there is a formal definition. Um, according to our Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the fifth edition, many of you who've listened to the show have heard me talk about this. Substance use disorder describes a problematic pattern of using alcohol or another substance that relates in, results in impairment in daily life or causes noticeable distress. I can go on about that, but I think as we move through, we'll talk more about this. But before we go on, I see we already have our first caller. I'm delighted to have David in Horn Lake. So, David, hi. Thanks for calling early on. Hi. How are you doing today? Doing great. I need you to speak a little bit more loudly or closer to the phone, if you will. My question is about addiction and the heavy it takes on the caregivers and the immediate spouses and family members that are dealing with this. My wife was addicted to pain pills, and then she got addicted to gambling. I put her in Parkwood three times, and I went through mental hell until she finally admitted to me that she liked the feeling. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I joined a uh, caregiver support group. And had to go through a whole lot of mental 
reevaluation because I thought it was something wrong with me and my failure to communicate or relationship problems or whatnot. But when she told me that she disliked that feeling, how do you combat or re-educate the people to fight that feeling? Wonderful question, David. And I'm so glad you called because, as you already mentioned, many times the caregivers um, are literally destroyed emotionally as they're trying to deal with the addiction problems of someone they really love and care about. And you clearly really loved your wife or you wouldn't have been spending the time, energy and significant, I'm sure, amount of money in trying to deal with this. Um, Dr. Parker, why don't you start and then we'll move. I know both of you, Dr. Barjwaj, you uh, also have, I know, some comments. Yeah, David, I want to thank you for your call and and uh, just underline and emphasize exactly what you said, how difficult it is for family members. Um, and I commend you for getting getting your own help and support. I think that's often the direction that needs to um, to take place. As far as someone learning not to enjoy the feeling, I think that um, that's a lost cause, basically. Drugs and alcohol do what they do, and um, unfortunately they don't stop doing what they do. And it's not until a person realizes that the costs of, of enjoying that feeling are excessive, they're too much, they're unbearable, that they finally will turn to... to uh, get help and stop um, that behavior pattern. Dr. Parker, do you do you believe that there are some people who get a bigger emotional reward than than others? I've read that there's some individuals who perhaps don't don't get that rush feeling as much. Is that true or 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 not? Yeah, it, yes, it's certainly true that um, there are individual preferences and differences in how we respond to different drugs. And um, some people don't enjoy the feeling of one particular drug, but they latch on to a different one. And, and their, their friend might be the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. We don't have a real good understanding of why that is, mm-hmm. except to, that it's complicated. There is a portion of that, especially with alcohol, that's genetic. Uh, people with a genetic predisposition um, respond more positively and more readily to alcohol than other people do. Um, the rest of it is complicated. It has to do with um, behavior, long-term behavior patterns and so- social supports and peer groups and things like that that All affect what we're exposed things. to, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dr. Bardwatch, I know you have some thoughts. You're nodding. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, David, thank you for calling. Um, you know, Dr. Parker, you know, uh, said a lot of important things, and um, I want to highlight a few things here. Um, everybody is in a different uh, stage of addiction, and, you know, there are no two people who are the same, and that's very important to identify, too. Um, you know, your wife, you know, probably is using the substances, and um, she's enjoying it, uh, but as we know, it's a chronic disease, and over time, the drivers for use change, uh, and initially people enjoy it, but over time, you know, people start to use it more compulsively on a, on a you know, habitual basis. And, you know, they're trying to use it to actually avoid feeling, you know, sad or depressed. 
Um, so, it, you know, the important part is, you know, understanding, you know, where she's at in her addiction, um, what, you know, what, what she actually thinks about her use. Does she even identify it as a problem? And has she, you know, uh, has she, is she willing to, you know, uh, seek help? Because, um, again, you know, that's an important factor that we need to, uh, you know, look at as well. Because a lot of people are forced into treatment where they're not ready as yet. Um, so these are important things to look into. And uh, as, uh, you know, what we've been told uh, already, you know, this is, this is a chronic disease. This is, um, you know, not about, you know, just making a choice. It's also, you know, making those choices over time, you know, the, you know there's a, this is a neurological disorder as well. Um, you know, there are circuits in the brain that are changing and, you know, pe- you know people, as Dr. Parker mentioned, there is a genetic component to this. Um, so there's a lot of things going into it. Right. Um, it's not a very simple as, um, you know, thought about. The other thing that I would add, in addition to the uh, caregiver support group, is uh, Al-Anon, which can be very, mm-hmm. very helpful to family members. Al-Anon is free. Mm-hmm. There are meetings all over the state. And the purpose of these meetings is to help people deal with the addictive behavior of someone that they care about. Right. Before we go to our first break, um, Dr. Parker, um, we were talking about just the the history of all of this and the difference in the way that we treat substance abuse or use disorder, um, how we treat it differently than we do other diseases. And both of you have called it a disease. So um, let's talk just for a minute about the the difference in approach, and why do you think that happened? Sure. So I was talking to Dr. Buttress, and I was lamenting the the disparity between how we approach a disease such as cancer, say, where we put enormous resources into early detection and prevention, early treatment, and compared to substance use disorders, where basically we wait until it's a forearm fire before we do anything. And People have, um, by that point, exercised their addictive behavior for um, years, if not decades. And those behavior patterns are well ingrained. They've suffered many, many consequences, medical consequences and social and often legal consequences, vocational consequences. And there's no reason why it needs to be that way. It actually right. shouldn't be that way. Right. We have um, very effective, good tools to help people who are early in the stage of using alcohol or drugs that can short-circuit that pattern and return them to a, to a normal lifestyle so they don't develop that severe addictive process. But in most cases, we don't do that. We don't ask those questions early enough, and the the disease progresses to a severe state. Yeah. Well, when we get, we'll take our first break. We'd love to hear from you about your questions. David, thank you for getting us kicked off on this about the caregivers. So whether you are one who needs help, whether you just have some questions, or if you're a caregiver who's trying to seek help, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we'll be right back.
Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back and thanks for listening. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and today we're talking about addiction and substance abuse and misuse. Um, We can talk about anything um, from eating disorders and uh, the addictive behavior that one gets into with eating, overeating, um, versus... Probably one of the most common issues that we in Mississippi deal with, and that's um, alcohol use. If you look at the the national maps on drugs of abuse and addiction issues um, in Mississippi and in the South in general, we maybe are a little bit different. Although I'd like to hear from our experts who are with us today. Um, about this. From what I could tell from the national surveys, it appears that um, marijuana use is um, certainly there, not as high in some areas of the country, alcohol, methamphetamine, not as much heroin use as addiction to pain pills and issues like that. Now, I I know both of you um, deal with um, inpatient and outpatient therapy and individuals who who have significant issues, but would would like to hear your take on that. Also, we'd like our listening audience, if you have started thinking about making a change, um, if you've resolved to do something, give us a call and let us know how you're approaching that. Uh, What have you decided to do to help yourself? Or if you have someone that you want to help, um, have you thought about how to approach this? Do you have any good successes where you were able to stop your alcohol use or tobacco use on your own? Or if not, who, who did you go to? Who was the most helpful for you? So give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. So um, Dr. Parker and, and Dr. Bart, Bardwaj, um, what do you all think about what I just said about the type of drugs used? Um, do you feel like that we are a little bit different when we were um, 
when we were talking again before the show, I mentioned that on NPR yesterday, I believe it was, they had a show about uh, the evolution of alcohol use in the U.S. and that millennials typically are uh, not drinking as much alcohol. There is more the mocktail um, rather than the cocktail uh, that are non-alcoholic. And I said, does, so does that mean that our young people aren't so much using um, substances for pleasure? And y'all both kind of said, we wish. Um, so do you want to comment on that, Dr. Bartraj? Sure. Um, you know, addiction, uh, the type of substances that have been used, you know, they keep evolving and uh, they've done so over the last several years. So, you know, at, at some point, you know, we see, you know, alcohol being a bigger problem and um, tobacco has always been a huge, huge, a huge problem. Issue, right. um, but, you know, as we see, uh, you, you know, you've seen the change in the you know demographic and, you know, there's change in the people, uh, the preferences of people who are using substances. And uh, it's, it's a good change that you know people are using less of alcohol but we also see that you know the millennials and um, you know gen z are using more marijuana and it, different forms of marijuana um and with the legalization and you know recre recreational marijuana use has increased uh, in, in a lot of different states so you know it, it's there there is a diff definitely a variability in what you see um in our outpatient clinic here in jackson um, you know, we, we have this addiction clinic. Um, we see a lot of, um, you know, alcohol use. We see methamphetamine use. Uh, we do see marijuana use as well. So um, uh, this is what we typically see a lot uh, in, in our clinics. Right. Typically, um, unless it's a what – I, what I tend to see with um, people seeking help for marijuana, it's because they um, need to pass a uh, drug screen to get a job. Right. And uh, they realize they can't get a job, so they, you know, they want to stop um, using marijuana, and, and they become aware of how difficult it is that they can't just stop. It's much harder than they think it's going to be. So um, talk to us a little bit about that, because um, over the years, several years ago, there was a lot of talk that marijuana was not addictive in any way. So are you saying it's addictive? Or are you saying that? the habitual use is too pleasurable and you can't let go of that? Is it both? I'd say both those things. Plus, a third thing is that um, people use learn to use it instead of doing um, learning more healthy ways of dealing with things. So instead of learning to uh, meditate or exercise to deal with stress, say, with smoke a joint, right? right? And that, that works pretty quickly. Right. Um, but when it comes time to stop, if you haven't learned uh, other ways of dealing with those things, whether it's stress or depression or sadness or whatever it is, or learn to celebrate without using a drug, it can be hard to do. So it, using that can take the place of other things that we normally would learn to deal with situations in life. Also, I think we need to point out that the marijuana products that are available today are many times more potent than the marijuana products that were available 15 or 20 ago. years yeah. ago. Yeah. It's a it's a different thing completely. And there's there's a well-established relationship, not just with marijuana, but the same thing is true with alcohol and with cocaine. There's a big difference between uh, chewing a cocaine leaf in the mountains of Peru and uh, 
um, snorting cocaine or using mm-hmm. cocaine IV or between, uh, you know, the concentration of beer and the concentration of rum, say, you know, mm-hmm. we, we learn to concentrate drugs because they, they affect us more and more quickly. And we like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and and again, just kind of um, you know, ending with that. There's also this uh, neuroadaptation that's happening, right? There are changes in the brain. It's uh, using a substance, putting in your body. It's like you know, uh, giving ten times the natural reward, strength of the natural reward. So those changes, you know, make it more uh, you know habitual and permanent. And and that's what you see. Be it marijuana, be it any other drug. You know, there is. Um, that seeking out behavior, that in, you know, uh, uh, that enjoyment that people get out of it, and that leads into more uh, neuroadaptations. Right. You know, um, I believe it's been uh, three years or so since we did a show on addiction, and I can remember um, back at the time we did it, we had several callers call in about the extreme difficulty that they had had um, trying to stop smoking. And and I wonder, listeners, are you are some of you out there still struggling with that? I think, um, you know, everybody thought that vaping would be this great help. And as it turns out, it has been um, in some cases deadly and very dangerous because of some of the additional substances that are that are put in. But. Um, I'd, I'd really like to hear from some of our listeners about where you with that. Have you tried to make a change and can't? Or were you able to make a change and, and it worked for you? And do you p- perhaps have a tip for someone else? Give us a call. We want to hear from you. We've got all open lines and we have these two great experts. Uh, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877 Four six four, uh, Michelle. Hey, welcome. I, I hear you have a question Hi. today. Yeah. Thanks, guest, for being here today. Um, I have a question. Are all addictions the same? You mentioned smoking, and we've had on our other Southern Remedy shows um, smoking experts, addiction experts, to talk about addiction with smoking. Do you have a lot of people coming in your? Um, areas with different types of of addictions do you have smokers versus heroin or cocaine and um opioids and things like that or do you see a certain amount type of drug users come in or is it all across the board we're fortunate to have the act center at the jackson medical mall which is a a very well known and uh high quality smoking cessation program so um if a, if someone comes to us and their goal is to stop smoking, that's where we would send them. They're they're really the uh, experts in that. As far as other drugs, we we see people across the board and uh, with different kinds of drugs and usually combinations of drugs. It's not that common really anymore to see someone coming for help who only uses a single substance, mm-hmm. and that presents uh, a struggle. Where do you start? How do you deal with uh, several different drugs uh, at the same time, medically in terms of withdrawal and so on? Mm-hmm. And uh, also, in, uh, the the way we have structured our clinics, we we have 
you know, uh, um, MAT clinic, which is a medication-assisted treatment, um, where we treat people with opioid use disorder and alcohol use disorder. We also have uh, an addiction clinic that focuses on dual diagnostic piece, where we treat both addiction and psychiatric issues uh, that people come with. As Dr. Parker said, you know, nobody's coming in with just one substance. It's not happening in a vacuum. People are trying something, and that leads into something else. Um, Again, we've heard about marijuana being one of the gateway drugs, and that kind of tells us, you know, that once you use marijuana, there's a higher risk of using, you know, some other substance. And that's still true. Um, You know, if you're addicted to marijuana, there's three three times as likely risk of uh, being addicted to, you know, heroin. Um, and if you're addicted to, you know, cocaine, there's 14 times as risk. And with pain pills, yeah. it's about 40 times. So yeah. you can imagine nothing is happening in a vacuum. In a know. vacuum, right. Well, let's go on to the phones. We have a couple of callers. We have Jim and Madison. Hi, Jim. You have a comment to make? I do. Um, I started smoking cigarettes when I was in high school in the 19, early 1960s and um, smoked for 24 years before I finally quit. 33 years ago, um, I tried all different kinds of methods to stop smoking. I tried everything that you can think of except hypnotism, which I never got around to. Uh, But I came upon a program put on in a local hospital called Smoke Enders, and it involved, it was a six-week program. Uh, Each week you had to switch to a lower nicotine content cigarette. And you had to change all the little micro habits that go with smoking, such as changing the hand that you smoked with. Uh, You had to chart every cigarette you smoked and throw every cigarette butt into a big jar that you were required to open and take a big sniff of every day. Um, I had to change the side of my mouth that I smoked out of, which was incredibly awkward. Um, I had to gradually eliminate rooms that I smoked in at home. Yeah. and at the end of four weeks, we actually stopped smoking. And I, I did a calculation, and it turned out that on the day I quit, I was getting 2% of the amount of nicotine that I was getting when I started the program four weeks earlier. Yeah. So all of, that, all of that behavioral change and the, and the gradual weaning off the nicotine enabled me to stop. I took the day the day after I stopped. I took my two kids to Disney World by myself for a week and didn't want a cigarette. Wow! That's well, I, that's, that's I was going to say that's pretty stressful. <laughs> that's terrific. And we and we drove. Yeah. And I knew at that point that that I, I was over smoking, and yeah. I was. Jim, uh, first of all, I want to commend you because you clearly were highly motivated to stop. That sounds like an intense. Y'all were both yeah. nodding, so oh, yeah. you know about this program. I mean, he he gave a, yeah. Jim has given a wonderful description of mm-hmm. many of the kinds of uh, behavioral interventions that help support cessation of any drug. To, quitting tobacco is among the most difficult, if not the most difficult, because it's a behavior that's done so many times a day in so many different locations. The one thing, this is something that Jim didn't pat himself on the back for, but but I'll pat him on the back, and you notice that um, on his unsuccessful attempts, he didn't stop trying. Yeah. He kept trying right. to quit. Yeah. And that's, that's a key up. thing. Do not give up. Most people, by the time they've quit successfully, not just tobacco, but any drug, 
They've tried multiple times before that. We learn from our mistakes. If we're fortunate, we learn from our mistakes. If we're really fortunate, we learn from someone else's mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. But keep trying. Yeah. Good words. Jim. I would certainly encourage anybody who is thinking about quitting to keep trying because when I when I entered the program, I was smoking three and a half packs of cigarettes a day. Wow. You know, you added many years to your life by stopping, um, in addition um, to your children's lives, too, because it's that passive smoking, too, that affects everybody around you that you love, even when you don't mean to. So... Jim, thanks so much for calling and and giving that word of advice for our listeners. We appreciate it. Okay, before our next break, I want to stay on the phones. We're going to go to Becky, um, who's driving, I believe. Becky, drive carefully. Um, Tell us what your your comments are. You have a story about a relative. Yes, I just want, it's more of what they were discussing already. I just want to encourage people to keep trying as if they're quitting smoking because I had a relative that quit smoking and it took him eight tries and he was someone who was very disciplined about everything that he did and for him to have trouble with it told me how how difficult it must be and I, I saw him like a week after he had quit how he after he quit smoking and because I was away from him and you could tell a difference in his skin i mean he he had said his color was so much better after quitting smoking it was unreal even after just a week yeah well you know it's a um yeah nicotine is a vasoconstrictor it it clamps down the peripheral the the small vessels so it really does affect your skin and that's why many times um if you look at a smoker they they are highly wrinkled very early at a young age for that for that very reason so you're right it affects everything it affects all your organs too so outside and inside Becky, thank you for encouraging everyone. It sounds like it was somebody you really loved and you were really proud of him for doing it. So, Which brings up a point that when we get back after our next break, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, the, the difference in an individual who can smoke two packs a day and suddenly put it down. Is that a real thing that someone can really do? So when we get back, uh, without intervention, when we get back, same thing for alcohol. I want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, so we're taking our next break. Um, this is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about addiction issues and how to get rid of those horrible habits that are destructive to you and those that you love. Give us a call. We've got open lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back.
On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me on the show each week are healthcare professionals who add their expertise to the discussion. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back, and thanks for listening. Um, Dr. Susan Buttress here with Dr. Parker and Dr. Bardwaj. We are talking about addiction, substance use issues, and we're going to just jump right back to the phones. We have several callers. I'm so happy for that. We'll go to Veronica in Memphis. Hi, Veronica. Hi. I have a question about smoking's effect on people with severe mental illness. Um, both my adult children have one has schizophrenia and one has pretty bad bipolar. And when they try to quit smoking, it just throws them off the rails. It's almost as if they quit their medicine. And I don't understand that because supposedly smoking cuts into the effectiveness of the medicine. Ah, great question. And Dr. Bardwaj is going to take that. Yeah, uh, thank you for calling, Veronica. There's no single simple answer to this. Um, It's very complicated, um, you know, neurology that's taking place uh, for this. Um, Patients with schizophrenia tend to smoke, um, we know, because it helps their, you know, symptoms. And um, it helps them become more social, um, and it reduces their anxiety. And uh, and schizophrenia patients are one of the bigger chunk uh, when you look at uh, the number of patients who with mental illness who smoke. Uh, schizophrenia is you know a huge uh, you know it comes up all the time, and that's a huge chunk of people who are actually smoking. So um, it, it's 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 very difficult for those uh, to work with those patients and help them um, you know quit smoking because once they quit, uh, it kind of leads them into having you know more symptoms and uh, their you know recurrences of symptoms like you know hallucinations or um, you know anxiety uh, comes back. So the caffeine is is one of those things that um, causes. Some some transient relaxation. Mm-hmm. It also can can help with focusing a bit, right? Right, right. Um, so caffeine is a you know great agent in that in that sense, um, but. Uh, when we're talking about just smoking itself, um, as Veronica has mentioned, there's interaction with the medications that, that they're taking. nicotine. I'm sorry, I said caffeine, but correct. Right, yeah. right. And um, when the when the patients, you know, stop smoking, uh, you know, we have to adjust medications because the levels uh, are changing the, mm-hmm. the moment they stop smoking. So uh, it's a very complex interaction between you know the smoking and the medications and the symptoms itself. Um, but um, you know, again, we have to you know under- make the patient understand that it's harmful to them uh, what they're doing and help them you know slowly cut down in you know, a harm reduction techniques and um, you know making sure that you're working with 
their doctors to adjust the medications appropriately so that they're able to make that change. Do uh, you ever not recommend that they stop as you're trying to treat ab- a person absolutely. with schizophrenia? Absolutely. So yeah. that's that's basically the recommendation that you know you slowly, gradually cut Very down slowly, and you, yeah. you stop smoking and keep the doctors aware uh, that they've stopped smoking because they'll need to adjust their medications. Because now once the smoking is taken off, the medications, uh, you know, the levels might get higher. So you need to cut down on the medication doses as well. Yeah. So it's very, very important that they, you know, reduce and stop smoking because that's affecting them um, more so even though they're helping some of their symptoms. And that's why they end up smoking. Right. So uh, it's a two-edged sword, unfortunately. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. And and some of the medicines that you have to take for schizophrenia, mm-hmm. if you can use lower doses, mm-hmm. it's better for your body absolutely. ultimately, absolutely. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Veronica, great question. Thanks for your call. Okay, let's stay on the lines. We have Homer and... Clarksdale. Hi, Homer. Yes, ma'am. Hey, how you doing? Doing great. Tell us what you have um, smokeless tobacco issue. Well, I was actually, uh, my, my deal was, I mean, uh, my question was, smokeless tobacco compared to smoking, I know both of them are bad. Uh, smokeless tobacco has been sold as not being as bad, but I guess it's kind of like, you know, you analogize snakes, uh, a cobra and a cotton mouth, both of them kill you, but is it any differences in between or your guests there have seen between smokeless tobacco affecting you versus smoking affecting you? That's my question. Good question, and I love your southern analogy of the of the two comparison of the two. That was marvelous, Doctor yeah. Bardwaj. Yeah, you want to make a comment on that? Sure. Um, you know, uh, let, let me say, you know, both have nicotine, and you know that that's the main addictive agent um, in both smokeless tobacco and tobacco and the smoke tobacco. Um, however, the smoke has you know more than two hundred plus carcinogens, and that's really not helpful for you. Um, it can cause cancer and, you know, there are other medical problems that come with smoking. So definitely, you know, smoking, um, uh, smoke tobacco is worse than the smokeless tobacco. But then the the question comes to um, what are we trying to quit? Are we just trying to quit, um, you know, uh, the, the smoke uh, or, or are we actually trying to get rid of the habit and the nicotine addiction that's happened? So um, the thing is, uh, you know, both are, you know, probably, you know, causing the addiction um, and uh, smoke less tobacco probably is better at some level um, uh, with regards to, you know, the smoke carcinogens. But um, both equally do have nicotine, which is a concern. Yeah. And, and remember, we were talking about the, the constrictiveness of the blood vessels mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what it does to the gums and the teeth and Absolutely. the mouth when you use uh, smokeless tobacco. Mm-hmm. And and also um, oral cancers can be just horribly mm-hmm. devastating and disfiguring mm-hmm. if you survive it. So that's right. Right. Mm-hmm. All of all of the above. So Homer, I guess neither is good. And and you're absolutely right. The cobra and the cottonmouth and not coat. You what'd you say? Moccasin and cottonmouth. Yeah, we well, need to find a different kind of snake. Yeah, oh, got it. Uh, both, of, both of them will kill you. One is just going to do it a lot quicker. <laughs> That's exactly right. I get it now. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll stay on the phones, and let's go to Dottie and Leland. Um, hi, Dottie. You have our, a story about smoking? 
Uh, I do, and I tend to over-talk, so move me along if I do that. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> okay, okay. I had tried many times to stop smoking. Sobbed through every one of them and was not successful. And had been a while since my last attempt, I was dog-sitting for friends of mine who had, were coming back from Jackson from uh pregnant to cancer and he already had a voice box mm. for cancer it's tough. and had was receiving treatment at that time for a brain tumor and I was watching their dogs for their dog for them and, and kitty I was standing in the driveway because of course I did not smoke in their house I was standing in their driveway at night late and smoking a cigarette they drove up and as the headlights hit me, it just, uh, it was like, okay, God, I can't do this anymore. I know I've got to quit. I put that cigarette down, and that was the last cigarette I smoked. Good for you. And, you know, sometimes it takes a kick in the gut, I guess, Dr. Parker, right? To right. have that happen. Uh, even, yeah. even though, and I have a person close to me who, even though they had a significant health scare, still had difficulty. So it doesn't, it, it, it can't always happen that way, right? Right, and I'll point out again with Dottie, she's someone who tried again and again. Right, And right. she finally did it. She did it all at once, but she did it after trying multiple times. Yeah. So, again, never give up, Dottie. Uh, I hope that that your quit was a long time ago and you're doing well now. So thanks for calling. We appreciate that. Michelle, I'm going to stay on the phones if that's okay. We're going to go um, to Devin in Memphis. Hi, Devin. Thanks for calling. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Sure. Tell us your story. Um. I grew up around a lot of uh, people smoking cigarettes, uh, occasionally marijuana, um, a lot of alcohol, different people doing different drugs. And I was introduced to that at an early age. Uh, at a young, as a young adult, straight out of college, I got a job and I was not really drinking a whole lot because I never was real big on the, the alcohol, but I did love to smoke marijuana and cigarettes and occasionally take pain medication. I had a wreck uh, where I was thrown into the windshield, and it hurt the oh. vertebrae in my back and compacted my disc. Uh, I have nerve damage and stuff in uh, my back all over where I was having to take trigger point injections, so I was uh, having to take 90-something Percocets mm. uh, a month. And I got addicted to that after a few years, and I was taking more than I was supposed to. Um, I know there's a lot of people that understand, you know, once you start taking pain medication, it doesn't last very long and you have to take more. So I was trying to find other ways of getting them, you know, non-legal way, I guess. Yeah. And after my son was born, uh, I wanted all of that to be gone. I did not want my son to grow up the same way that I did. So I tried to get myself cleaned and get, you know, back to a healthy lifestyle for my family. Um, my dad was an alcoholic, so uh, that always stayed on my mind every time that I was drinking. I never, 
I still drink occasionally, you know, special occasions or something like that, just, you know, a beer or something mm-hmm. like that. But I don't, I'm not a, a drinker. So, but I do, uh, yes, ma'am. So, Devin, how did you get there? It sounds like uh, you were determined to make a change. And, you know, I think, you know, the nurture nature, um, the environment you are in can have so much to do with your outcome. Yeah. And how you end up. So, so what? What was the? What made you able to make the change? Well, I wanted it. You wanted it for badly. For one, yeah. But my kids, when my my, my son was born, uh, I was one of the first people to hold him, besides the doctor. And uh, just looking at him gave me pretty much mm. everything I needed. Uh, you know, to do what I needed to do for not just myself, but for him. And uh, I wanted to be around a lot longer than what I would have lived by doing all the things that I was doing. There was a lot of other drugs that I was introduced to, you know, young, and I still dabbled with, you know, even after me and my wife had, you know, got married and tried to get her house settled down and everything. But it uh, was that child that brought you to your knees on it, right? I think yeah. Dr. Parker wanted to say something to yeah, you. I want to congratulate you, yeah. Devin, for, yeah. for what you've accomplished. But it, it highlights a really important thing. When we're doing treatment planning with someone, we one of the things we focus on is motivation for change. What motivates you to change? And when we're having that kind of conversation, what we really want people to focus on are what their values are, what's important to you. What's what's at the center of your life? And what Devin has described is that his son took up residence in the center of his life and there was no room anymore for for drugs. So um, that's a motivational approach that any of us can take really with any kind of behavior. If it displaces something that's important to us, our health, our jobs, our spirituality, our relationships, then it needs to go. We make make room right. for what's supposed to be there. Yeah. Wow. Well put. Gosh, Devin, thank you so much for calling and and sharing that story with us and congratulations to you and your family. All right. Um let's go to our last caller. We have Bradley and Tupelo. Hi Bradley. Bradley, are you there? Hello. Hey. Hi, I'm right here. Good. Tell us what your thoughts uh, are. Oh, okay. My uh, my thoughts are this. I'm an alcoholic, and I have been through traditional um, rehab and, um, gosh, what do you call it, uh, treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, it... Um, is about abstinence, and I've gosh, uh, I would like um, the the folks to speak to harm reduction instead of abstinence. I hear you. Okay, so you feel like that the programs that you um, have dealt with harp on on abstinence and staying away from it, and not as much on the harm that it's doing. Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's absolutely correct. Okay, and I think perhaps that um, treatment might focus on, you know, 
sort of cutting back and not, you know, hurting other people, if that's possible. Dr. Parker, you want to comment on that? Sure. Um, I think one of the things that, that this particular question highlights is the importance of individual individualized treatment. Everyone's learning pattern and drinking pattern or drug use pattern and situation is different. So treatment, even though there are core principles and approaches to treatment, everyone's uh, treatment plan is uh, isn't the same, and everyone's path to recovery isn't the same. I would, um, what I the way I think about it is this: that abstinence is on the end of a continuum, and there are a whole string of uh, harm reduction beads that are part of that process. So, um, if I was given the choice, should I drink and drive or drink and not drive? I'd say, well, go ahead and. You know, I'm not going to condone your drinking, but certainly of those choices, drink and don't drive, right? Because that's less right. harmful for you and for the public. Um, should you drink a lot or a little? Well, maybe you should drink none, but given those two choices, drink a little instead of a lot, because that's less harmful. Um, so, again, whether abstinence should be part of an, a particular individual's treatment plan or not, that that really is determined or should be determined by the the individualized assessment right. of that particular patient. Well, thank you, Bradley, for your call and your question. It was actually a really good question, and I think a lot of times you do have to focus on the harm, like on our previous caller, Devin, about his son. He felt like he might be causing harm to somebody who he adored, and he couldn't allow that to happen. So... Um, sometimes that's what you have to focus on. So I want to thank our two guests so very much, Dr. Parker and Dr. Bardwaj. Thank, thank you. you. I think thank you, you gave us some excellent information. And thank you so much to our callers and our listeners for uh, being with us on this show. Um, thanks, too, to Michelle McAdoo, our engineer, producer, and our call screener. Who's that? Um Liz Gill. Liz Gill. Thanks, Liz. Well, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking and that you'll stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.